Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsinized Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review. A Wisconsin judge has tossed out a set of rules related to absentee voting. Coming up, what voters need to know. Plus, the Northwoods Brewery owner who's seeking to disqualify former President Donald Trump from appearing on the primary ballot. And what's next with redistricting after the state's high court found the current legislative maps unconstitutional? All that and more on Rewind, your week in review for January 5th. Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. Well, Happy New Year to you, JR, Same and you. to our viewers. We're going to kick off 2024 talking about a lot of election-related news that happened this past week. First, we're going to start with now even additional changes to some of our absentee ballot ruling, uh, some of our absentee ballot uh, uh, decisions after a Dane County judge made some decisions recently this week. So he issued a pair of rulings that overhauled the standards for a witness's address on absentee ballot envelopes. It includes tossing out guidance from the Wisconsin Elections Commission that requires a witness to fill out their address information, such as a street address and the street name. The judge also ruled that clerks can no longer reject absentee ballots that have missing uh, information about the witness, for example, like their zip code or municipality. And Jared, this comes as there has been a series of changes Mm -hmm. to absentee ballots and the rules around them of what you can and cannot do ever since the fallout of the 2020 election, as we even saw challenges from former President Donald Trump seeking to uh, throw out a bunch of absentee ballots because of a lot of these uh, uh, rules that were implemented during the pandemic. So we have two kind of things to keep in mind about these rulings. One, um, we don't have a bright line about what an address is, the minimum standard now. And two, it kind of conflicts with this ruling from 2022 about clerks being able to cure a ballot. If you can't throw them out because it's missing information, you don't have to worry about curing it. So let's talk about the first piece. State law does not brightly define what an address is for absentee voting. Now, if I ask you your address, you tell me probably your street name and number. I know you live in Madison, so you might just throw out, you know, the city. Do you have the zip code? Is that required? Maybe, maybe not, right? We don't have a clear state law that says this is what your address is for absentee voting. And remember, when you vote absentee, the voter, uh, him or her, is going to have their address basically put in there by the clerk. It's the witness who's adding this stuff in. Um, and what we've had happen is that during the 2022 election, clerks are using different standards. The Elections Commission has just issued guidance saying it should be street name, street number, and municipality. Guidance, though, is not state law, right? So some clerks were saying if you didn't have a zip code on there, it wasn't going to count. In some examples, if the voter and the witness were both in the same house or apartment and the voter had his address up here and the witness put same or ditto, that was thrown out. Okay, so what's the standard? And in his ruling, Judge Nilsiston from Dane County said this would be all taken care of if you had a bright line, if the legislature would pass a clear law on what is going on here. Now Republicans are aghast about this, right? Number one, they want the strictest standard possible for absentee voting because they argue it is a privilege, not a right. That's their philosophical argument. The political one is, look, Democrats vote absolutely more than Republicans do, mm-hmm. right? So if you have problems, they're probably more Democrat, Democrats than Republicans. That's another issue. And then third, remember this whole thing over here about the uh, Waukesha County ruling. I've heard talk to some lawyers that, look, we need the Supreme Court to step in and set a standard. 
it's a new Supreme Court setting that standard versus 2022 when that court, the old majority, conservative majority, outlawed, for example, uh, absolute drop boxes, right? So we might see our first kind of test of what the state Supreme Court, the liberal majority, will do when it comes to standards for voting in Wisconsin for 2024. And when it comes to these standards, I mean, typically the Wisconsin Elections Commission makes them, but we know it's a, or, or they have I, an issue guidance, sh- I should say. I shook my head because the they can't agree on anything. That's what I meant. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm correct there, JR. Um, because that is the main reason of why a lot of these issues have been resolved in the courts, because they almost always deadlock on these issues. And, you know, speaking of a lot of voting issues related to absentee ballots, you brought up a good point. I mean, SCOTUS is likely someday possibly going to rule on absentee ballot drop boxes. That's another challenge in the lower lower courts. We've also saw a series of bills trying to address a definitely confined voters in Wisconsin. Republicans have passed those bills. Evers has vetoed them in the past. We're seeing more of those issues come forth in the legislature. I think in the coming months, uh, we could likely expect kind of an election-themed day at the state capitol. Uh, we know the Assembly Campaign Elections Committee has had a lot of series of bills come forth. Some of them are bipartisan. We've talked about them, about them on the show, like such as allowing clerks to process absentee ballots the, the, uh, the Monday before mm-hmm. an election. So this conversation is going to continue. But when it comes to the courts handling s- specifically absentee ballots, I would agree what I hear most is that SCOTUS really should step mm-hmm. in and start answering some of these questions. And with these rulings, so Nilsson had so two cases. In the one ruling, for example, the things you cannot throw out a ballot for these four things. So, for example, the ditto thing, can't throw it out for that. Or if the voter puts on, uh, the ad- witness puts on their municipality with the zip code, you can't throw that out. Zip code, but no municipality, can't throw that out. But again, there's not, what's that minimum requirement? Is it just street name and street address? What is it going to be? And I'm just curious how long uh, these fights will continue, mm-hmm. given that, yes, in 2020, absentee ballots surged in Wisconsin, primarily because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But even over the last few elections, it's become less and less more popular. Um, so just be interesting to see how a lot of these set of rules uh, continue down the road. All right, talking about ballots, mm-hmm. let's talk about who's going to be on voters' ballots come April 2nd. That's because the Presidential Preference Selections Committee, it is a bipartisan uh, committee that decides whose names are going to appear on there. And right here on your screen, you are going to see six Republican candidates uh, seeking the presidency. And we have Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Donald Trump. Now, what's interesting here is there wasn't really any controversy during this meeting, um, given that there is likely going, or there is going to be an attempt later today trying to seek to remove former President Donald Trump from the ballot. We're going to get to that in a bit. Um, But the only sole Republic or Democrat that the committee put forth, which was uh, Ben Wickler, the chairman of the state Democratic Party, was Joe Biden. And there was a not as much of a rift, I would say, about this committee meeting mm-hmm. than in years past. Yeah. So remember, this committee is only for parties who get 10 percent of the vote in the previous control election. That's only Republicans, Democrats. So they're the only ones setting a you're only going to have a Democratic primary for president in April and a Republican one because of that. OK, so there's that. So with this. Four years ago, Donald Trump was the incumbent, right? Republicans had a couple other candidates who were trying to run for president, make a noise about it. They passed on putting their names forward on the ballot, and Dems ripped them. Why are you trying to protect Donald Trump from this challenge? Fast forward four years ago, four years years later, and now it's on the other foot, right? We have Joe Biden, who's got people like Dean Phillips in Minnesota, a congressman running for president. Marion Williamson, again running as a self-help author. They didn't put them on the ballot. And these, this is kind of a formality. You know, the Democrats say, we want these people. Republicans want these people. They sign off, and that's it. The question is kind of like, why not put Dean or Marianne on the ballot? 
from Democrats like, look, we've endorsed Joe Biden. He's the incumbent. These guys aren't going to matter. But it gives Republicans a chance to get a shot at him. Like, why are you protecting Joe Biden from the possible embarrassment of, of him doing well? Now, the reality is, by the time April rolls around, it's unlikely Dean Phillips or Mary Williamson have much of a campaign left, if they even have one right now. It's kind of indicative of how they're doing that this happened and there wasn't a peep out of Dean Phillips. You know, I mean, that was interesting. Yeah. If, if you're trying to say that established against me, I'm trying to fight this insurgent campaign, you should be seizing on these things to like get free media, not a peep. So it tells you how his campaign is doing, really. Um, again, with, uh, and with the Republican ballot, so there was no talk about Trump, the 14th Amendment. He's a front runner. Party put him on. Maybe the courts will weigh in on that at some point, but for now, this is about you're going to have in April. Right, and also this week we reached the filing deadline mm -hmm. uh, for some local races, and specifically we want to highlight uh, Milwaukee County um, with uh, uh, we know that Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley is running again. We know Milwaukee uh, Mayor Cavalier Johnson is running again. And what was interesting, we had the same individual yeah. uh, file paperwork to run against them, and that is Lakeisha Griffin. So she's also filed the run for two common council seats. <laughs> so we asked a bunch she's of She's got to keep her option op op open. Can you do this? Um, it's not clear that you can serve as Milwaukee County Executive and Mayor at the same time. That would probably require some legal. Now, let's be honest. Aisha Griffin has run for a, a number of offices in the past in the local uh, area, not won any of them. She's probably not going to win these four seats, let alone one of them. Um, but it brought an interesting question. Can you do this? You have to live... In, I think it's in Milwaukee, you have to be in your common council seat within like 10 days of being sworn in or something like that. But she can file for both. But if she were to win both somehow, she'd have to only serve in one, uh, not counting on that. Right. But what's interesting with Crowley and Johnson is that, you know, you look, uh, Crowley won a four-year term four years ago, seeking a second full one. Johnson won a special election two years ago. Going to this kind of flag deadline, I kind of asked, well, what, who could challenge these two? Like, what would be the scenario where they'd get a challenge, a legitimate challenger? And the theories I heard were, well, a well-funded moderate who could string together discontent over crime and the new sales taxes, maybe that would be an avenue. Or somebody from the left who could say, you guys gave up too much to Republicans in, in Madison and the share revenue deal, all these concessions like police back in the schools, that was too much. The thing is, though, both Crowley and Johnson did a really good job of navigating both the Capitol and getting things like the sales tax to fix your pension problems. And the Brewer Stadium done. And building coalitions. They have coalitions across kind of the spectrum in Milwaukee that have helped them kind of like, you know, basically in a glide path of reelection. Now, let's also be honest, Milwaukee doesn't have a big history of like voting out incumbents. I don't know, I don't, last time it happened yeah. for mayor, it's been not my lifetime. So they're in very strong positions. What I'm getting at is basically they took the oxygen out of the room to try and challenge them with how well they've done so far in their terms. Right. All right, now let's move on to what's happening today, later this afternoon, is that Kirk Bankstad, excuse me, the owner of Monaco Brewing Company, is officially going to file a lawsuit seeking to remove a former President Donald Trump off the April 2nd ballot. Now, Bankstad argues that Trump should be left off... <clears throat> left off the ballot because he's an ineligible candidate under the U.S. Constitution's insurrection clause. We knew this was going to happen. Uh, it was last week that Banks had filed a complaint with the Wisconsin's Elections Commission arguing the same merits. But what completely rejected that because we just talked about it. The Presidential Preference Selections Committee decides who's on the ballot, not WEC. Now, this argument that he is saying that based on Trump's ties to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, He's ineligible to run for the White House. We have seen almost identical lawsuits in over a dozen states. The only successful ones have been in Colorado and Maine. 
Now, Trump has appealed both of those decisions this week. He's also asked Colorado to take the matter up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this just comes as justices on the nation's high court have been facing mounting pressure to decide whether Trump, who is the GOP frontrunner, whether he should and is able to run again. But the question here, Jr., is does this case stand a chance? And I think you're fighting with a really tough timeline. I know Bankstead has said he wants to, you know, hopes to get it resolved quickly and, you know, have the state Supreme Court weigh in. I'm just not getting a sense that it's it's very likely of success here. I, I We spend a lot of time reading court, yeah. <laughs> court rulings in our jobs, so I don't want to, to diminish the state court at all, but I kind of am not that interested in what the state courts have to say because the U.S. Supreme Court will ultimately be the one that has the, decides if Trump is eligible or not. So again, not to knock our state court system, this is not a state issue, this is a national issue. Sure. And so I'll watch to see what happens. Now there was a similar lawsuit filed back in August. Um, this guy running for president as a Republican, kind of a writing candidate, filed like two dozen federal lawsuits, none of them successful. That's gonna be dismissed in early March because he failed to file or to serve the lawsuit against um, the Elections Commission and others. That's kind of an important thing in lawsuits. Um, shows you how serious he is about this thing. But anyway, it's just gonna be, you know, yeah, there might be something interesting out of this. The courts may weigh in, but ultimately the U.S. Supreme Court is the open arbor of this entire issue. Right, and uh, the Journal Sentinel also reported this week that the go- Governor Evers um, wants former mm-hmm. President Donald Trump on the ballot. And we've also heard from a lot of Democrat operatives. They also would like him not removed, given that they think they have a better argument and chances against going against the former president. So it's, of course, this is still going to go forth. We'll see where this goes. But there are a lot of Democrats that say, hey, I we want another matchup uh, against Trump because they believe they have it in their favor, but remains it, to be seen. It also muddies the water on the election integrity issue and uh, protecting democracy and makes Trump a martyr with his supporters. So let's, look, the president, former president has gotten stronger mm-hmm. uh, as he's been charged with various things. This is not really hurting him with his supporters. And then two, if you're making an argument about you know protecting democracy and how things should work, when you're moving to remove somebody from the ballot, it gives his supporters a way to muddy the water and say, well, look, you guys are saying it's actually so important, but why aren't you letting this guy be in the ballot to be, have the, the voters decide? Right. It's almost like you're going against your own, yeah. uh, you're saying. All right. Speaking of Governor Evers, he sat down with many members of the press corps to do his end-of-the-year interviews. Of course, we're in the new year, so yeah. a lot of the topics that we discussed with him, we're looking ahead to what's a lot of work that's left to be done in the next few months while lawmakers are still in session and just kind of looking back on the past year. Um, So what I talked to him specifically about is that he told me that he's open to cutting taxes on retirement income. And of course, we talked about that um, a little bit, that Assembly Speaker Robin Loss floated the idea of just cutting taxes on retirement income. And if that is the case, I mean, Wisconsin would join about a dozen states that don't tax that when you want to get that money out. He also vowed to sign a medical marijuana bill, another thing that Voss floated that Republicans are going to prioritize in the next few months. And he also slammed Republicans' efforts that we also heard from Voss saying that he wants to further curtail uh, diversity, equity, inclusion efforts in state agencies, uh, given that uh, audit should be coming down in the next few weeks that Republicans want to look at what practices are going on. Yeah, I mean, talking to the governor, he said that it's uh, Republicans have made it harder for him to find a DNR secretary. Remember, the old secretary left in, uh, I think, November 1st. Two months later, we don't have one yet. Mm-hmm. And he said the reality is that he's approached people about the job. He hasn't offered anybody yet that they've said, why would I go through that craziness, referring to the fact that the Senate has rejected four appointments to the Natural Resources Board, 
other appointments, it's not an attractive thing right now for a job. He says that he's talked to local officials to and others to prepare for the possibility of migrants being bused to Wisconsin. Uh, we've seen that already with uh, Texas sending him to various democratically run cities. Uh, Rockford, I think, had a flight of migrants a week ago. They were then bused toward Chicago in the suburbs. They're preparing for that possibility. I mean, a lot of stuff that's going on that not big shocks. He'd sign a medical marijuana bill. He's open to various things. Um, once Trump on the ballot, but the governor also said, has made a decision about running for a third term. We'll see, but I asked him, you know, the arguments make is, you know, he's in his 70s with Joe Biden and his age. Will you consider the argument that Democrats, older leaders should step aside with new generation take their place, essentially? And he said, yeah, he'll think about that. But there's no concerns about Biden's health or his preparedness for the job. Said he's got to come here to Wisconsin and, and really sell what he's done to improve his uh, position in the state. All right, and going back to just taxes, because taxes and childcare are likely going to be recurring themes in the new year as lawmakers come back and reconvene, um, because we know they haven't really found a solution. Uh, there has been multiple proposals put forth by Republicans that want to cut taxes. Even retirement, uh, cutting retirement income was included in the last package that Governor Evers vetoed. It was roughly about $3 billion. Um, and that was kind of how the, when they eliminated his child care proposals and snuck in a tax cut instead. So Evers once again stressed, we got to figure out this child care issue. I also asked him about, well, what about using the rest of the remaining COVID funds? Now, he did use already some mm -hmm. of them to help some providers, but these are two themes going forward that we're going to hear much more about, I would say, in the next coming weeks. And whether they can come to an agreement, I think is a good question because, you know, we were talking, you know, off camera too about uh, just how many big victories both the governor and Republican lawmakers had in the past year. I mean, you had shared revenue. You had the Brewer Stadium deal. They have a lot to celebrate. And looking back, I mean, I don't think we would have thought a lot of those things would have happened in 2023. Um, so you got to give them kudos to that. But whether taxes and child care can get done, mm -hmm. you know, January, February, March, I think is a big question ahead. Campaign years make things difficult. So I would hold my breath on some of those things. All right. Let's move on to stock picks. Or one more how could I forget about redistricting? <laughs> Excuse me. All right. So, of course, um, we talked about our year in review last week and just mentioned uh, the Supreme Court ruling 4-3 to rule the state's current legislative maps that heavily favor Republicans are unconstitutional. So looking ahead, here's what's happened since then. Republican lawmakers have asked the court to stay and reconsider its finding that the state legislative maps boundaries are unconstitutional. Now, attorneys representing a series of Senate Republicans also filed a motion with the court saying last week, that they can't meet the court's January 12th deadline for new maps. So moving ahead, we've talked about this before, JR. Yeah. This is another way that they are trying to delay and delay to delay in hopes that they don't have to have new maps in place before the 2024 election cycle. They're also queuing up going to the U.S. Supreme Court. So in that motion for consideration, which basically you're telling judges you got it wrong. Uh, judges, in my experience, don't really like being told that, aren't really receptive to that argument. But, you know, it's worth a shot. But in that motion... They're saying the court ignored the arguments that Republicans raised. This process has been rushed and prejudged, and their due process rights have been violated. Those are all things that would play into a brief to the U.S. Supreme Court to say, you guys need to step in, stop what's happening here. So our timeline is fairly tight. January 12th, new maps are due. By the way, I talked to Governor Evers about that, asked him if he's going to submit the People's Commission maps. Said no, there are some problems with those maps. So we may need another show to talk about those. But yeah. anyway... Um, new maps are due, submissions at least, by January 12th. The consultants hired by the court, uh, they've signed their contracts. 
They're both going to get paid up to $100,000 each uh, for their work. They have a report due February 1st, I believe, to look at those maps. They can recommend, they can ask for changes to those maps, recommend them. They also have the option, if the maps submitted don't meet the criteria the court laid out, to draw maps of their own. So watch that process. We also have a brief now from the plaintiffs saying, court, don't pay attention to the motion for reconsideration. These guys have had plenty of time. They've got time to do this. They're trying to delay. All this is working toward, in my mind, when do Republicans go to the U.S. Supreme Court to file their appeal, ask them to step in and try and halt what's going on? All right. Now we can get to yes. stop picks. All right. This week rising is Pedro Colon, who is unopposed in a full term on the appeals court. Yeah. So Pedro was a former state lawmaker from Milwaukee, appointed the first district court of appeals uh, last year by Governor Evers. Now he's got no opponent. Look, uh, it's the best way to get in the appeals court. Get appointed to a vacancy and have it be an appeals court district where it lines up with you philosophically. So the Milwaukee-based first district, very Democratic. Pedro, former Democrat, that's a good fit. Now, Evers' picks in other districts haven't fared that well. The second district, based in Waukesha, very red. Uh, two of his have lost, but that's not the case here. So now Pedro has got a full six-year term looking at, uh, at, at him. The question is, does he become part of the group of potential Supreme Court candidates? So now this is a long-term view. But um, we're not expecting liberals in a candidate in 2025. And most Bradley's running for, we think, a fourth 10-year term. She said she's going to. You always wait until we get closer to make sure she's going to run. But we expect her to run. 2026, conservative Rebecca Bradley. 2027, Annette Ziegler. So then you need some candidates. Now, there's a joke around uh, town that every lawyer in Wisconsin thinks they can be in the Supreme Court. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it especially applies to appeals court judges. So looking at the liberal you know, possibilities, would Pedro fit? On the one hand, Trailblazer, first Hispanic to serve in the appeals court in Wisconsin. Um, also from Milwaukee, a, a powerhouse population-wise um, for Democrats. But liberals have found a formula that works in 2018, 2020, and 2023. It's a female candidate who's a former prosecutor. He checks neither of those two boxes. So does he have something to pitch to get you know, people's attention? Oh, by the way, even though Milwaukee is a huge population center in Wisconsin, believe it or not, back in the February 2023 primary, Dane County cast more votes than Milwaukee did. That would favor a Chris Taylor, another former st Democratic state lawmaker, uh, who was a Dane County judge appointed by Governor Evers, then appointed the First District Court of Appeals, or Fourth District, I'm sorry, Madison, now serves on that court, won a term unopposed last year. So that would probably play in her favor. And there are other judges around Wisconsin who've got all kinds of backgrounds to pitch. What I'm getting at is at some point we need a stable of liberal candidates for Supreme Court, and this brings him in the mix for that as well. All right, and mix this week is the state's tax burden, and it's nearing a historic low. Yeah, so the uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum does this look every year. It's the state local tax burden. We hit the 50-year low of 9.96% in 2021-22. Uh, this looked at 2022-23. We ticked up to 10%, which is not a huge increase, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still high. What's driving that? Well, it's a combination of personal income growth, and tax collection growth. So on the personal income side, it kind of slowed in 2022, 2023, about 2%. Collections went up by more than that. That's why you have that got a burden kind of tick up a little bit. So now look forward, what's going to happen? Well, we have a report from the Evers administration last month projecting that personal income should grow like by 4 and 5% in the next couple of years. So that would be a good thing, right, for this burden going down. Yeah. We also have um, local governments getting more state aid, the shared revenue deal, right? So um, part of the local taxes for Milwaukee for the pension problems. 
they're going to have more shared revenues tied to sales tax collections. That could then offset property taxes that locals collect. But Milwaukee would probably collect more <laughs> taxes, right? Because yeah. they've got these new uh, county and city tax. So it could be a mixed bag in the next year and look at it. But it's just something going on that's, you know, we've kind of been on the downward trajectory for 50 years and we're kind of like hit that part and just kind of plateaued a little bit. Right. And falling this week, which is still kind of positive here, <laughs> even though it's falling, is eliminating the personal property tax. Yeah, so it's gone finally. Um, this is a tax that had been imposed on business equipment. It had been, there's like this kind of group of lawmakers in the Capitol who've been obsessed uh, with this I for years. I was <laughs> just going to say that. It was the, like their number one thing. And they've chipped away for a long time. Remember, almost three years ago now, there was a provision in the state budget to fully repeal it. There was money put aside to back for the lost property tax revenue for local governments. But the governor and lawmakers couldn't agree on the language last minute. The governor said, hey, let's pull this out and do something a separate bill. Republicans said, no way, and it sat. They worked out those last remaining concerns in this past budget. Photo appeal January 1st goes away. Now, in Wisconsin, we're kind of different. We don't have, like, bills taking effect in the new year. Most of the time, if you pass a bill, it takes effect, like, within publication. A um, couple other changes, state law, January 1st. The sales taxes from Milwaukee County and the city, those took effect. Also, if you have a kid who's got want to get a driver's license, he or she has to go back and take the test take again. Take the road test. Road yes. test, that waiver has gone away. Right, and with the road test, though, I mean, if you are you know low income, can't afford you know separate driver's ed classes, there is that new bill that was also implemented, but not on January 1st. Mm -hmm. um, just a few months ago, the governor signed that that would provide grants, um, you know, up to a certain about four hundred dollars to help provide for families for that. And this is all kind of in the effort to to in hopes to crack down on reckless driving. They feel like if they train more drivers, they can do that, but and all will it, you know, fix all the issues specifically happening not only in Milwaukee but in other cities of reckless driving. I mean, it, it won't, but it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, so this is one of the few changes in state law to take effect January 1st. All right. Well, that will do it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next time. This program was brought to you from the Margaret Farrell Studio. Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.